wonderful job. I just love that. Love to hear kids sing. All right, let's take our Bibles now, if you would please, and open them to Revelation chapter 10, 10th chapter of Revelation. This evening we're still in our part of the study where we're talking about the opening of the seventh seal on Redemption Scroll. The seventh seal is the last seal, and it leads to the final battle in which God is going to subdue all of his enemies and then bring his kingdom upon the earth. And I want to remind you as we're talking about this that these uh, seven, the opening of the seventh seal, there are uh, seven trumpet judgments. There are seven angels that sound seven trumpets, and with each trumpet that sounds, there's a new wave of judgment that follows. And so far, we've seen judgment upon the earth in the form of destruction of earth's vegetation. Then there was a trumpet that blew, and there was a plague that came on the seas, one that came on fresh water, uh, one that smote the sun and the stars. And then um, all of those things are, are taking place under the blowing of, fir- of the first four trumpets. And then we, then we had another series. Uh, a new series of trumpets begins to blow, and under the fifth type, uh, fifth uh, trumpet, there's a different type of judgment that comes, and rather than being a judgment upon the earth itself, this is a judgment upon men. And so when that fifth trumpet sounded, there was a horde of demons that was released from the abyss, and they go about tormenting men for a period of five months. And then another judgment came upon men. This was the blowing of the sixth trumpet, and there was a demon army, 200 million strong, with the power of hell that was released And by them, one-third of the earth's population that hadn't been killed under the other judgments were killed at this time. So that brings us to this 10th chapter. The sixth trumpet has sounded. And true to the pattern that we have in Revelation, uh, there's an interlude between the sixth and the seventh. The pattern is to have four judgments and then three. And then in the three, there's a break in the action between the last two, which here would be a break between the sixth and the seventh trumpets. So this is where we are in chapter 10. We have this break that's really the longest break in the book of Revelation. Runs all the way from this 10th chapter down to chapter 11, verse number 14. And in this little interlude that's taking place, there will be some more explanation that's given. Things that are going on concurrently with the opening of these seals and the trumpets. So we're going to read just the first two verses of this chapter tonight, and then we're going to look a little bit further into some explanation of some things that are taking place. So if you'd stand with me, please. Revelation chapter 10, and we have just these two verses, verses 1 and 2 to read. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire." And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for each one who's come out to hear the word tonight. Lord, we just pray that you'd open up this text before us, and pray, Lord, we might learn something here that will help us in our Christian walk. And Lord, just to see things that are going to take place at the end of time and to have some understanding of that, something that we can warn people about, that they need to receive Christ today. Come to know him as Savior right now, because we don't know when these things will begin to unfold. Bless the message tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to look at verse number 1 again, because we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, the angel in this verse. 
Last week we talked about a controversy that's here over the identity of this angel. And last week we discussed one side of that controversy. Those of you that have picked up the little yellow commentary that we have in the outside there in the foyer, uh, if you've read ahead in that or have read this particular part, you know that my father uh, took the side that this angel that we're speaking of here in verse number 1 is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And we looked at that viewpoint extensively last week, and we did see that there are some very compelling reasons to accept that view as the correct one. Uh, In all of my father's ministry, there are very, very few times, very few disagreements that I've ever uh, had with any of his interpretations. He was a very studious man, and fortunately I have access to much of the material that he used when he was teaching through this book. But here is a place in this particular verse where I disagree with him, and not vehemently, mind you, because uh, the interpretation that this angel is the Lord Jesus Christ is certainly a good one, and there is much to contend, uh, uh, to uh, uh, commend that viewpoint, very much to support it, and we saw those things last week. And I, I would say that my father, who has now gone on to be with the Lord, that he knows much better now who's right or wrong about this. But uh, we, it's not going to affect any doctrine that we hold jointly, this particular interpretation. And I respect it because it does take a wonderful view, uh, just a great view of Christ's majesty and his sovereignty. But I've come to a different conclusion. And there are very good men who are on both sides of this issue. And uh, having discussed it last week, if you didn't hear that, you might want to get a copy of that CD And after hearing what I say tonight, you can decide which viewpoint that you would rather take. And if you take his, as I said last week, that that won't bother me at all because there are good arguments on both sides of this. Now, before we actually get into that, let me remind you of some things that we talked about last week in the first part of the outline. Number one, we were talking about the appearance of the angel. And we needn't worry here that the wording of this text, if it is an angel being and interpreting it as the Lord Jesus Christ, that there's any problem with that. I mean, just because uh, we have angel here, because there are multiple times in the Scripture where the word angel is used to describe Christ because the word itself simply means a messenger. In the Old Testament, we find pre-incarnate appearances of Christ where uh, he's called the angel of the Lord, and those are theophanies. And there Jesus comes before he appeared in Bethlehem and he gives a divine message. And there are descriptions that we read throughout this book that match the descriptions that are given of Christ in other places uh, in both the Old and the New Testaments. And, And as I say, we find these very descriptions right here in the book of Revelation. So there were four descriptions that we looked at last week, and then we talked about the things that that could lead us to believe that this is indeed Christ. Now, the first description that was given of him was the clouds, and the angel is clothed with the cloud. And when Jesus comes in the rapture, the Bible tells us that he will come in the clouds. And in the Old Testament, we see that God appeared in a cloud. When the tabernacle and the temple were finished, the presence of God came in the form of a cloud and filled that place. So we know that clouds are associated with deity. Then the second description that we have in that first verse is that the angel has a bow on his brow. And back in chapter 4, we saw that there, there was a rainbow round about the throne of God. And in the Old Testament, God gave the rainbow as a sign of his covenant with Noah. 
And so that's what rainbows are about. And this very well could speak of Christ because there's a covenant that exists between the Father and the Son for the redemption of his people. So the rainbow could represent that covenant. Now, thirdly, we see in that verse that the angel shines as the sun. And it is characteristic of deity that God's glory is described as a bright, shining light that's like the sun. And in chapter 1, we we do see Jesus that way. He's described as having a countenance or his face that shines as the sun in its strength. And then in the book of Malachi, in the Old Testament, there Christ is described as the sun, the S-U-N of righteousness. So these things are compelling arguments to identify this angel as the Lord Jesus. And then there's a fourth description in that verse. It says, the angel has feet like fire. And feet like fire are a symbol of judgment. And indeed, the scriptures also say that all judgment has, has been committed to the Son. Jesus took our judgment when he went to the cross. He bore the penalty of our sins, the, the judgment of God against us. Jesus took that for us. And then when Jesus comes again, he comes in clouds of judgment because that is when he's going to judge the lost and he'll put them into the lake of fire forever. So all of those there are really great arguments that really do lend weight to the interpretation that this angel is Christ. And again, I have no problem if anybody takes that view because these are descriptions of Christ that exalt him and they glorify him. But I want to probe a little bit further into this, this tonight and, and I'd like to look at the other side of the argument. And so uh, I'm going to try to dig myself out of that hole that I dug last week and giving you all the arguments on the side that it could be Christ, and I want to show you a little bit different argument this evening. So I've left you some blanks there on your, on your listening sheet tonight, so you can just write down some things here, just some words that will help us as we go along in this part of the study to describe this angel a little bit differently. The first one I'd have you to write down is created angel. The other side of the argument is that this is a created angel. This is not really Christ at all. But this is one of the mightiest of all angels and perhaps the one angel that second only in power to Jesus Christ or God himself. We need to remember, though, that that is a power that's given by God. It's not an inherent power. Angels are created beings, so any power that they have has to be granted by God. So we have a a few tips here in the text that would show us that this is indeed, as I believe, a created angel. And the first one that we have is the first six words of verse number one. It says, and I saw another mighty angel. Now let's think back on some things that we've discussed previously. If we go back into chapter eight, we read the first two verses of that chapter, and it says, And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And there John says, I saw the seven angels. And that little article, that definite article, the, is very important there because that sets these angels apart from any other angels that we've seen so far in the book of Revelation. And if you remember when we were talking about that chapter, we called these angels in the presence of God. And it seems like they have a very special job that they are attendance to the throne of God. And these are those angels that are given the seven trumpets that sound out these judgments. But now we come to chapter 10 in this interlude, and the scripture says, And I saw another mighty angel. 
And the word another there, that's the tip that we have. Because in the original Greek, that word means another of the same kind. It's another angel that's identical to the angels that came before. Now, not that this angel does the same things that they do, but it's an angel of the same type or of the same kind as those that have already been mentioned. And if this were Christ, the text would really wouldn't say it like this. If this is Christ, then we would never say that he is like the angels. And that's because Christ is not like any kind of an angel. Christ is not a created being. Christ is the eternal, everlasting God. He hasn't been created, so he's not like anything. He's not compared to anything. Things are compared to him because there's nothing like him. And so here, as John states this, it seems seems to be saying that this is an angel, but not the Lord Jesus Christ himself, because he's not like any other thing. And if John had recognized that this was Christ, then he wouldn't have said another But rather, he would say something like, I saw a different kind of angel. And John might even say it in another way. He he might give Christ a title. That's what he does in other places. In the first chapter of John, we pulled out some of the descriptions that we talked about last week. And there is where John said that the countenance of Christ was shining like the sun and he had feet like fire. But he preceded that section with this. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. That is unmistakably Christ because there's a title there. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. In the fourth chapter where we looked at the description of the rainbow, we also find these words. It says, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And so there we see Jesus Christ called Lord God Almighty. In the fifth and the sixth chapters, he's given the title, The Lamb. When we get into the 19th chapter, we'll see Christ come riding on a white horse. And in verse 11 of that chapter, he's called faithful and true. In verse 13 of that chapter, he's called the Word of God. And so whenever you see Christ in Revelation, you see those kinds of titles, and that tells us that he's distinguished from all others that are there. And well, he should be, because what we're speaking of here is the revelation of Christ. This is the unveiling of Christ. And so you couldn't call it an unveiling if there's any kind of ambiguity. And so we don't see Christ here veiled in any kind of cryptic references. Rather, we see him unveiled in his majesty. And so there are those titles like Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, the Lamb, the Alpha and Omega, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords, and so on. We have those titles all the way through the book of Revelation. And so if this angel is Christ, then we would expect that John would very clearly tell us that And he wouldn't simply leave it here by saying, well, this was, or he is an angel. And then we would also note this, that there there is no place in the New Testament where Christ is referred to as an angel. We do see him in the Old Testament, uh, as I've said before, the angel of the Lord, those appearances, that refers to Christ. But in the New Testament, Christ is always very clearly distinguished from angels. So he's not called an angel in the New Testament unless it's right here in the book of John, or or book of Revelation, rather. Now, the second tip that you can write down is this word. It's the word oath. This angel takes an oath. Look at verses 5 and 6 in chapter 10. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, 
lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and all the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. So this angel takes an oath, and it appears here that what he's doing is he's swearing by the greater. Now let's listen to an explanation of that in Hebrews chapter 6. There it says, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. So when you take an oath, what do you do? You swear by someone who's greater. You don't swear by someone who's lesser. You always swear by the greater. I'm not going to go into the validity of of, uh, swearing oaths tonight, but a person may say something like, I swear by the king. And why does he do that? It's because the king is greater. In courtrooms, they, they used to tell you that you had to put your hand on the Bible and you had to swear to tell the truth. Why did they do that? Well, because the Bible is a standard of truth. The Bible is greater. It represents God who is greater. And so that's why you swear by it. And so if I'm going to swear, I I don't swear by David. I don't swear by Randy. I don't swear by John. I might swear at them, but I don't swear by them. No, I wouldn't do that either. I mean, they're, they're good men. But being good men, though, they are not the standard of truth. And so likewise here, if this is Christ... If he was going to swear by anyone at all, he would swear by himself, just like God did with Abraham. But instead, we see that the angel swears by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and earth and the sea and all other things. And so, that appears to me that the angel is swearing by the greater, and the greater is Christ, because Christ is the one who created all things, and by him all things consist. That's what it tells us in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And so the oath here seems to indicate that this is not Christ, but rather a created angel who swears by Christ because Christ is the one who created all things, even the angel, because the angel is a created being. Now, we can write down a third word. We're moving along pretty well here. The third word is the word strong. This is a mighty angel. And the word mighty comes from a word that means strong. It's a word that means powerful. And certainly we we do know that Christ is powerful. Christ is strong. He's powerful. He's the source of all energy and power. But we also find in the book of Revelation that there are references to other strong angels. And they're in places where we know that the references there can't be referring to the Lord Jesus. In chapter 5, verse number 2 There's a strong angel there, but there's no question that that angel is not Christ. And then in chapter 18, there's a very striking description that's given of an angel. Just turn over there to chapter 18 for just a minute, and we're going to look at this and read this in verses 1 and 2. Revelation 18, verses 1 and 2. It says, And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Now, if you go on reading the rest of that chapter, you'll see that there are indicators there 
that this is not Christ. This angel is not Christ. And I don't know of commentators who claim that he is. So there we see that the word strong can also refer to a created angel. Now, number four, the word that you might write here is the word descriptions. And this will take us back to verse number one and these descriptions that we've already been over because we have to do something with those. We've got to deal with the descriptions that are there in the text and see if they can indeed apply to a created angel. And as we look at this, we see that... that, uh, The descriptions indicate that it could be Christ, and we've discussed those, but there's actually nothing in those four descriptions that demand that the angel must be Christ. So let's go through those again. The first one is the clouds, the clouds. Well, elect angels are also associated with clouds. Last week, uh, I used this verse in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is speaking, and he says, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now there, that's the coming of the Lord in the clouds. But let's go on and read what the next verse says. It says, And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And so the elect angels are also coming in the clouds with Christ. Then we go over to the 14th chapter, and there we find there, there's an angel that flies in the heavens. In verse number 6 of that chapter, it says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Now, what I wanted to call your attention to there are these words, the midst of heaven. And that actually means the mid-heavens. And it's the point in the, in the sky where the sun is at its highest. That, that would be at noon. And so what we have here then is an angel who's talking to men who are on the earth. He's giving them the everlasting gospel. And so it seems here that the angel is appearing in the atmospheric heavens. And what is the atmospheric heaven? Well, that's the place where you find the clouds. And without going into myths and legends about clouds, I mean, who hasn't seen angels sitting on clouds? And so clouds really then are not a barrier to this being a created angel. Now, the next description is the one about the rainbow. And there's nothing peculiarly inherent in rainbows that would prevent them from being associated with angels. Now, one of the things that angels do is they assist God with carrying out his covenants. And remember, that's what a rainbow is for. A rainbow is a sign of a covenant. And God uses angels to assist him to carry out covenants, to carry out the promises that he makes to man. Angels are the instrumentality. And the Bible does indeed say that angels are ministering spirits. This is what Hebrews 1 verse 14 says. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be the heirs of salvation? And so, although we don't find any references in the Bible where angels are associated with rainbows, there has to be a first place, doesn't there? So... Here could be the first place. And 
if this is a qualifier for Christ, that it has to be Christ because there's a rainbow, then what we have here is a very cryptic way of, of doing this. Why, why state it in such a cryptic way? So rainbows then are all about God's covenants, and God uses angels to assist him in carrying out covenants or promises. Now the third description I think here is one of the most interesting, and this has to do with the countenance. The countenance is like the sun. That's what it says in that first verse. Now, God could certainly give a rainbow to an angel to represent him, and he can also give an angel a glistening countenance. And isn't that what God has done? I mean, we we had that example last week where God did that with men. When Moses was uh, up on that mountain with God on Mount Sinai, when he was given the law, he came back and his face was shining like the sun. The glory of God was upon him. Well, imagine what it must be like for the elect angels. They spend all of their time in the presence of God. And so, surely we could see that an angel would certainly reflect the glory of God. But I want you to listen particularly to the description of an angel that came at the time of Christ's resurrection. You remember that when Christ arose from the dead, that there was an angel that came and rolled back the stone. And don't forget that the angel didn't roll back the stone so Jesus could get out. Jesus was already gone. But he came and he rolled away the stone in order for the disciples to look in. And the Bible gives us a description of that angel. This is Matthew chapter 28. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. So his countenance was like lightning. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Here is an angel that shines with the glory of God. Now, if we go back again to chapter 18 in Revelation, and that description we were given just a moment ago, and we've already said this, this is not an angel that, that's Christ. We already know that. But listen to what it says about that angel. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. So here is an angel that has so much light, so much glory, that the whole earth is then illuminated by his presence. And so the fact that Revelation 10 verse 1 says that his countenance, the countenance of this angel was like a sun, like the sun is really no barrier at all to say that this could actually be a created angel instead of Christ. And then we have that fourth description. And the fourth one is the feet like fire. And here again, we remember that feet like fire represents judgment. But angels are also associated with judgment. Christ is the one who will judge. But we have references here in Revelation where the angels are actually carrying out God's judgments. Now, the elect angels, according to what Jesus said, are the ones who are sent to reap the earth. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13. He's giving the parable of the wheat and the tares. And the disciples asked him after he gave that parable, what do you mean by this? And then Jesus gave the explanation. Here's what he says. He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire 
so shall it be in the end of this world. And so there we see that angels are associated with judgment. And the feet like fire is an indication of the judgment that Christ is going to bring upon the earth. But he uses angels to carry that out. And so here is the final destruction where the angels reap this world of the people of God. Now, there's another word that I want you to write down. And and this word is actually a name. If this angel is not Christ, then who could he be? Is there somebody in the scriptures that, that we could identify, perhaps, that is this angel? Well, I want you to write down the fifth word, and that word is Michael. Michael. Now, I'm of the opinion that this angel is most likely Michael the archangel. This is a very strong, mighty angel, and these are very special descriptions that are given of him. Now, I don't know. Do we have Michael in here tonight? Michael Morrow, is he in here? I don't see him around, but you see Michael. You ask him, what does your name mean? And I hope that he knows the meaning of his, of, of his, of his name, because the name Michael means one like God. That's a big name to live up to. Michael means one like God. And if you run down these descriptions again, I mean, aren't you struck by how closely that they parallel descriptions of Christ? And so wouldn't you conclude that this must be one like God? And really, I mean, here, here's the whole confusion in the first place because we're looking at somebody who looks like God. I mean, very similar. So I don't think we could be absolutely dogmatic about this, but I think that Michael fits in fairly well as being the angel here. Now, in Scripture, Michael seems to be the angel that's the counterpart of Satan. Many people think that Satan is the counterpart of Christ. He's the counterpart of Jesus. But Satan in no way compares to Jesus. He can't be the counterpart of Christ. Now, he opposes Christ, and he wishes that he could be Christ, But he's not. I mean, Satan is just a peon compared to the power of Christ. Lucifer is a created angel, and he's one truly. He's amazing in power. And uh, if he were an elect angel, we might even be talking about here, about him in this place tonight instead of Michael. But he's an evil angel. And I suppose that it's just by the sheer might of his power, the fact that he has more power than any other angel, that might be the very reason that all of these uh, non-elect angels, the ones that have fallen, they followed him in the rebellion. And he holds them there in that rebellion. Not that they could change, but the power of Satan helps to bind them. And that just shows the magnitude of the power of Satan. But Michael seems to be the counterpart. He's the only angel in Scripture that's given the title of archangel. And so Michael seems to be the angel that's directly underneath Christ in power. And the Bible describes him as being sort of like the general of Christ's angelic army. Now I want you to turn over to chapter 12 for just a minute. And here we see the great power of Michael the archangel. Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 7. And there was war in heaven... Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, one of the things we know is that Satan, from the very beginning, fell. 
I mean, right at, not very long after creation, Satan fell, and he's already been cast out. I mean, the, the world has already, or is now the domain of Satan. But the Bible also teaches that Satan has access to heaven. It says that he is the accuser of the brethren, so he goes before God and he accuses Christians. But here we're talking about another time. Here is a a war that's coming in the future when all of this will come to a head. The end of the world is about to come and God is nearing that final destruction of Satan. And when that is about to happen, there's going to be a great spirit war that takes place in heaven. It seems that Satan is the one who picks the fight. He comes against Michael and all the elect angels. And here the Bible says that Michael and the angels prevail in that battle. And so Satan is cast out. He'll never be able to get into heaven again. And uh, he'll stay out of heaven and never come before God again until God decides to take that old dragon by the tail and then throws him into the lake of fire. So Michael is truly a mighty angel. We also see in the book of Jude that Michael has already before gone toe-to-toe with Satan. Let me, let me read to you a very peculiar passage of Scripture. This is in the book of Jude, verse number 9. It says, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuked thee. That's one of the strangest passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. And some of you may remember that Uh, that's the first book of the Bible that we went through after I became the pastor of the church. We went through the book of Jude. And we talked about that verse, and we spent a little bit of time dealing with that. I don't have time to go into detail about that tonight, but there was an argument that took place between Satan and Michael concerning the body of Moses. And what Michael did, he, he didn't crush Satan right then. And the reason that he didn't was because the timing was not right. Everything is done in God's time. And so this was not the time for Michael to defeat Satan, but rather he turned it over to the Lord and he said, let the Lord rebuke you. Because there was a time coming when Christ is going to deal with that whole issue himself. But these are things that really show us what a powerful angel that Michael is. In the book of Daniel, you might want to read Daniel, the 10th chapter, and you can learn a little bit there about and get some information about angelic warfare. But I want you to listen to chapter 12 because this is what's written about Michael in chapter 12. And at that time shall Michael stand up. The great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered. Everyone that shall be written in the book. Now what we see there is that Michael seems to be the angel that's for the special protection of Israel. And do I need to remind you of where we're going in the book of Revelation? What's the next thing that we're headed to? This is when Israel is restored into the kingdom. And so it looks like Michael is that angel who specially protects Israel and is going to help to usher them into this kingdom that God is going to set up on the earth. And so when you put all of those things together seems to me that Michael is a very good candidate to be identified as the angel here in Revelation 10, verse 1. So, now we've had two weeks of discussion about this controversy in Revelation. Obviously, we're not going to be able to tackle 
every single controversy in such detail. So you might ask me, well, why, why is that important? Why do you discuss these things? Why, why take so much time on this? And the only answer I can really give to you about that is that I like to study the Bible. And uh, I think it's important for us to look into some of these things. This is what preaching is all about. We come together, we study the Bible together, and we try to find out what the Bible means by putting all the scriptures and everything that we have together. So next week, we're going to come back to this. We've looked at that controversy. And so we'll move on a little bit further, and we'll get into this thing about the little book that's in the angel's hand, and then we'll start to talk about the message of that angel and what a, what a mighty message that it is. So we'll take that up in the next lesson next week. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for time we've had to spend together around your word. We just thank you, Lord, that we're able to study and have your spirit guide us. And Lord, we just ask you to give us the truth of your word. And should we come to the wrong conclusion about this angel, as we've stated, if it's the Lord Jesus Christ, then we're happy to proclaim him as the Lord Jesus Christ because he deserves all majesty and all power. If this is a created angel, then we still look to Christ because he's the one who grants all power to those forces that assist him. And we thank you, Lord, even for the promise that you've given us of mighty angels that protect the people of God. Bless us in our invitation tonight. Give us a a good time as we leave here and a good week this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's please stand.